Okay, well, I'm here. Let's go. Ascent Community Church. It's good for me to be in this building. You know, I was hired actually through Zoom, which was a great experience, but I had not seen any of these wonderful people that I work with, the place, the city, the state, until I got here. So, you know, you come in, get a nice welcome, not this guy. I get here, I'm coming on a staff retreat, which was beautiful, by the way. The retreat itself was amazing. But I pull up to the church, we meet, we go up to the mountains, they say, hey, for our first event, we're going to go on the lake, or sorry, we're going to go on the river, we're going to go kayaking, we're going to go rafting. I'm like, cool, I'm from Atlanta, we got water, I've been tubing, it is what it is, it's nothing. When I tell you, the minute my kayak hit that water, okay, I felt like I was no longer a grown man, I didn't even know for sure that I was human, I'm out here getting all extra, I think we got a couple pictures in the back, but... <laughs> I don't even, come on now, come on. That's like five minutes into this event. As you see, I don't know what's happening there. Somehow, whatever that is, so I'm like, whatever, no big deal. I think there's another one. At some point, I had to actually change my posture. Look at this guy. So now this is me literally hands and knees inside of a blown up kayak because I can't sort out what's happening. So a little background there. We're on the bus, we're riding now together to go down to the river. We have wonderful guides, by the way. They're explaining everything. I'm feeling super confident because they're like, if this happens to this, this happens to this. So I'm, I'm in it, right? The minute we hit the water and I just take off, I have no control. I'm halfway, literally half a mile down the river. I heard later from our staff that apparently our guide told them like, hey, look at him. He's really going. That Quincy's taking off. And they're like, we don't think he's doing that on purpose. But somehow it didn't get resolved. So I'm out here. I'm just going. Eventually, this guy yells to me. He's like, hey, man, just Eddie in, Eddie in. Some of you may be chuckle because you know what that means. I didn't know what that meant. He, they gave us terms, but they didn't use the same terms. So I'm looking around like, shoot, okay. I'm looking for a guy. I'm like, Who's Eddie? where's Eddie? And he's going to help me get in. That doesn't happen. So now I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So I'm just going up and down. Thankfully, I don't know how I didn't actually fall completely into the water, but I'm struggling. I'm hitting stuff. Hands are scraped because within the kayak, I'm hitting rocks. Weird stuff is happening. So eventually, I'm going, and Chris, who's actually our student ministry pastor, he comes up to me. He's like, hey, man, just want to let you know, when you're going up, you're hitting water. As you go up, your, your kayak is folding up like this, like an empty banana peel. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know what that means. I don't know what to do with it, but I know it's not good. So I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, I think I should switch with you because I'm a little more experienced, literally saved my life. I'm like, this is great, man. It had already been like two hours, so all my muscles are just dying because I'm out here like this, like I'm on a motorcycle or something. But that shift was great for me. So now we kind of pull over. Some people do some cliff jumping, which is great. I look at it, I'm like, that looks amazing. I'm going to just go over here and lay down and die. But y'all have fun, you know what I mean? And so from there, we get back out on the water. I'm relaxed. Somehow... I see this guy, I'm pointing to that man, Maurice. I see this man, Maurice, zoom by and our guide's premier, like special blue kayak going up and down the river. I'm like, how does this man get the premier kayak? I'm out here dying, dude ain't even looking at me. This man got the premier kayak, so then I had to just give him a nod. Like, you clearly have this thing figured out. When I get into this staff, I gotta stick with you because you clearly know what's happening around here. But what a moment. 
As this happened, though, we finally get, you know, we finally get finished. As you can imagine, as a staff, we've been laughing about this for four months. But we get back, we have some jokes. And it was really interesting because as we're in this series, we're finishing up, as you know, today, our series on gratitude. And we're trying to tackle this concept of the Goliath of envy and how to sort it out. It was really interesting because as I'm out there having a whale of a time, throwing up prayers left and right, God, God, this, that, and the other, get me out here, blah, 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 blah. I'm focused, right? I'm focused on God, his plan, and how he's going to get me out of here. God, I need you to get me out of here. But then once it's over and I'm relaxed and I'm going through it and it's, we're all laughing about it, this funny thing happens in my brain. Now it's like, wait, I got through it. Why did I even have to go through that? See, now I'm through it, and it was gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. God, you're awesome, and you still are. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for getting out of there. But now it's like, man, I'm looking back, and I'm looking around, and I had this 45% blown-up kayak on a river, just raging, my first time, and I'm looking around at other people with functioning equipment. It's not about them. Everybody tried to help me. Everybody was on Team Q. But I'm looking around, I'm like, wait a minute. How do I deserve to have this terrible kayak that can't even support me and everyone else deserves to have exactly what they need? Do they even need it? Clearly, I needed it. <laughs> I almost died. Do they need it? And in that moment, it kind of reminded me how if we're not careful and if we don't keep that focus on God and trusting God and his plan for our lives, we can easily slide into this space of losing trust in God. And that was more of a funny scenario, but it reminded me of it. And there's been times in my life, I don't know about y'all, there's been times in my life where I've been in scenarios and I felt like I just got to help God out a little bit, kind of let God know, like, I know you got and everything, but you ain't doing this right. <laughs> God, you're not doing this right. God, you, you got to do this different. If I were you, God, I, I wouldn't do this like this. And y'all, you know, y'all might not do that. Y'all might be more saved than me, and I'm happy for y'all. I aspire to be like y'all. But every now and then, I got to be like, God, what's the move? What are we doing? And, and that little lack of trust, that little shift of taking our focus off of God is how that little seed, that tiny seed of envy starts to creep up. It starts to get born in its birth. And if you give it room, it'll grow and eventually become a Goliath of envy. Because what happens is when we're not focused on God and his plan, then we start to look at everything else that's going on around us. And it's okay to observe but we got to remember everything that's happening around me isn't necessarily for me. I got to be able to look at what God has for me because I don't know always his plan. I don't know what's on the other side of his plan. And unfortunately, when we don't do that, when we don't manage it well, we can bump up against, we can hurt other people. Because when, we, when we're looking around and we don't trust God and we don't trust God having us and his plan for our lives in his hands, we try to put and take everything, take it for us, put it in our hands, put it in our coat, and walk away with it. And now what's happening is if my stack, if my grouping of what I want and my desires isn't as big or isn't as beautiful or isn't as perfect in my eyes as the person next to me, now it's easy to be like, oh man, I work with Chuck. We're going to pretend Chuck's here. I work with Chuck. And Chuck and I have about the same job. We work just as hard 
as one another. I think I spend about the same amount of hours, similar lifestyle. Why is Chuck pulling up in that new car? Why is Chuck taking four vacations a year with his family? I'm barely getting one. Why is, why is that okay for Chuck? I think I, I think I got a little seed. There's a little seed growing up for Chuck and what he has. And I don't dislike Chuck. I have no problem with Chuck. But I work hard, really, really hard. And I don't know that Chuck is working hard. I don't know what he's doing. So why is he over here experiencing something that looks so different than what I get? And when we take those eyes and those focus off, it gets tricky. And we're losing what we should have, what we already have, and God, we're giving it away. So look at something else. We see it in our own lives. I, I grew up playing tennis in, in inner city Akron, Ohio. So I know a little bit about what it's like to be on the other side of that feeling of legacy, ownership, all things that are good, but not staying focused on God and tucking something in my jacket. And this is mine. This has always been a part of what I did, my culture, this nation, my sport, whatever, and seeing some other kids come in who maybe didn't grow up just like you. You don't know their stories. Maybe they're great, but you know you worked hard to get here. You know you worked hard to put your family and your kids in a position to excel in this thing. And you know everybody. And then you see somebody else come in and you're like, they seem like fine people, but do they deserve to be here? I haven't seen them. I don't know anything about them. What do they deserve? We see it in leadership. We see it sometimes in the church. We see it with tricky topics. I've been around. I've seen this even land with friends and family. I've seen it with women in leadership. I've seen it in all sorts of things where we don't keep our trust on God. And now all of a sudden, this is mine. And there's a new person from a, a different group trying to come in. And, and I want to love and support those people. But I don't know that they should get my opportunity because I think it's mine. And the tricky part about this is when we take our focus off of God and his plan and we don't trust him, that's how we end up with this equation. Us, them. Me and mine, them or they and theirs. And the unfortunate part about that is we know through God, through the, even the example of God giving us Christ, that it's never us and them. It's God and us. It always was. It's God and us. And we, we can tap into that and lean into that and keep that trust, we can be focused on what God has done and is doing for us through his plan. And we can keep that gratitude that keeps us focused on the source and keeps us in proximity to the source so we can take everything that we need through him and not look around and trying to take from our others. Now, interestingly enough, we're human. We're not the first ones to ever deal with this. There's plenty of stories that talk about it. And luckily for us, we do have the Bible. So we're gonna take a look at King Saul. He was the first king of the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at his story on how, unfortunately, he allowed his lack of trust to start with seeds of envy, to turn into a Goliath of envy. And unfortunately, it led to a lot of bad things for him. Now, a little background here. The nation of Israel, formerly before Saul came into be, they were God's, God's people. He was their God. He was their king. He was leading them. He was using, you know, prophets and judges to, to kind of get his message out and lead them, but it was all God. And so there comes a point where they're like, hey, we know you got and all. You're great. We like what you're doing. Yeah. But I was over here and I saw this king and, and we think we want a king like other nations. We've been looking at other nations. 
We took our eyes off of you for a second. We've been looking over here, and we like how that's going. We, we want a king. We want a king. Now, God being God through his prophet Samuel, he warned them. He's like, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. Matter of fact, I know this is not going to work out the way you think it is. But they say, hey, we want it. We want that king. Give us that human. He said, okay, through Samuel, Samuel anoints King Saul. Saul takes the throne. Saul has some successes, a little celebrity, experiences some things. And then he gets to a point to where he starts to see David, that one, David and Goliath, David, start to elevate and ascend and have some experiences and become a little bit popular. And that's where we're going to pick up with our first scripture here, 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 11. I think it's going to be up in the screen for a second. So, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, was singing and dancing joyful songs and timbrels and lyres, and they danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? From that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying, <clears throat> excuse me, in his house while David was playing the lyre. As he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Now, if you've already nodded off or you're checking your phone, that last piece we just, we just read, a murder plot, ladies and gentlemen. This is the beginning of a long line of murder plots from a king because he was not able to keep his trust in God's plan. And the crazy thing was he's still king. Now, later on, David rises, but right now, Saul is king and he was anointed by Samuel through God. So he's at the top. He's at the top, but he took his eyes off of God and God's plan. So now, even though David is making moves, massive successes, taking over all sorts of things, but it's for Saul's kingdom. It's within Saul's kingdom. It's for God. David is honoring God, but it's within Saul's kingdom. So Saul can't even see that these wins benefit him. Again, back to that equation. For Saul, win for David is a loss for Saul. That's inaccurate. But when you're not focused on and leaning in and not trusting God and God's plan and trying to wrestle and create your own plan, it's so easy for us to look at things that way. So he goes on. He, he's now using two of his daughters. He's trying to get his daughter, one daughter to marry David so he can get him into the family, son-in-law, get him to trust him, send him off to get killed. He's like, he's like I, I ain't got this. It can't be me anymore. I'm going to let the Philistines kill him, but I'm going to set it up. That doesn't work. She gets married to somebody else. Another daughter, he's like, this one will definitely get him. You go marry David, be a snare in the side. She falls in love with him. So now it's a wrap. So he's like, okay, I'll do it this way. Boom. You want my daughter? You got to go kill 100 Philistines, bring back 100 foreskins. By the way, for y'all that don't read the Bible, start doing it. It's mad wild in these scripts. All right? I know y'all people, you're thinking the Bible is boring. It is not. This man says, you want my daughter? Go kill these dudes and bring back foreskins. What? What is happening right now? It's wild. It's wild. Anyway, David being David, he goes, kills him and brings back 200. I'm sure Saul's like this. What am I going to do with this guy? So anyway, he comes back, okay? They get married. The daughter is now in love with David. This plot is just totally wrecked. We'll pick up with our last few verses here. 
When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal, sorry, daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did, David met with more successes than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. <clears throat> Excuse me, losing the voice there. What we're looking at is not only Saul and his inability to trust God, to lean in, trust God for his plan that's manifesting. And these are not small seeds. As we see, this is full-grown Goliath of envy. When you go from the king to seeing somebody that's on the way up and you try to murder him, every time you see him, that's a full-blown Goliath of envy. It's getting crazy. Murder plots are too much. So anyway, now as we see this, we learn from Saul where not to go. But the other side of this, David shows us exactly how to proceed. And I suggest you go and read all through First and Second Samuel. It's a beautiful story. But David goes ahead and not only eludes, but as he's moving, praying, trusting God, David actually ends up with multiple opportunities to get back at Saul, even to actually kill Saul. There's a, there's a passage actually where David swipes a piece of Saul's robe just to let him know, you were trying to get me, but I had the drop on you. I could have killed you, but I did it. Not for you, but because of God's plan. I trust and I'm devoted to God's plan. David refused to bring harm or lay a hand onto God's anointed, even though God's chosen anointed at the time is wild and out going crazy and trying to kill him. But he's like, God, I trust you so much. It's not about him. It's not about what's happening on the other side of me. It's about you and your plan for myself, my life, my destiny, and your overall plan. So because of that, I will allow my faith to trust you and just take, go where you want me to go. And I will leave this to the side. Now, again, David's human. He wasn't perfect in this, but he was intentional in it. And that's what we can be. We're human. We're not going to do this perfectly, but we can be intentional in understanding that the key, the cure, the answer to preventing or even fixing, if need be, that Goliath of envy is keeping that trust in God, staying close to God, trusting God for your plan and how it will work out. And David shows us that. Now, as we get to our last little bit here, I want to go ahead and um, share a story with you. When I was in my sophomore year, sophomore year of college, I went to school three hours away. So a nice little check there. I'm back just visiting friends and family, having a good time. We went to this all night restaurants, I don't know, it was somewhere, it's in the Midwest, I think it's called Eden Park, but we went to this restaurant, 24-hour restaurant, probably six or eight of us, we're eating, we're having a good time, we're out late, we probably finish up between like 1 a.m., 1.30 a.m. On the way back, I'm riding with my best friend at the time, a guy by the name of Joseph, and we're just coming down a hill, it's North Akron, there's some high hills, so we're coming down this hill, he's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, four-lane road, two on the right, two on the left, yellow in the middle. So we're coming down this road, for whatever reason, bottom of this hill, instead of staying in the lane that we're in, Joseph decides to get over and just sit behind some other car at the red light. So we're just parked there, talking, laughing, you know, doing what humans do when they're out late and making fun of the people that they just hung out with, because why wouldn't you? And <laughs> we're sitting there, and I look at him, I made a conversation, he just stops talking, and he looks in his rearview mirror, he's like, oh no. And I'm like, so mid no of the oh no, it's like, oh, boom. I 
instantly felt and heard at the same time the loudest crash I have ever heard in my life. So we get pushed forward into this other car. That car goes into an intersection, and we now spin around just a bit. What happened is we were rear-ended by a drunk driver coming down a hill in something relatively the size of a Ford F-150. So you can imagine, good amount of weight, straight down a hill. He has no idea what's going on, so he doesn't hit his brakes at all. He just, bam, right into us. We move in, push this car in front of us. Now, thankfully, super late at night, so there's no one on the roads. So that other car that got pushed into the intersection, they didn't hit anyone, which was beneficial in this type of scenario. But as we are just dazed and stunned and checking ourselves to make sure that we can move, that things aren't broken. I mean, as I turned around to look behind me, we were in a Toyota Camry. So it's a decent sized car. We're in a Toyota Camry, uh, no joke. I turn around and the entire trunk, as well as the back seat, had all been pushed right behind my back. Same for me in the passenger seat as it was for Joe in the driver's seat. So this entire automobile is now right here. So we're just literally, to be honest with you, afraid to move because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. So I've, after a few minutes, we just look at each other. We're like, well, we got we to gotta sort this out. Obviously, someone's, you know, the, the ambulance had been called uh, by this time because it was just, it was noisy and there were some people kind of around that had driven by. And as, you know, everyone's pulling up, we kind of just like, we felt, we felt good. We felt like things were okay. So we move somehow, we get out of the car. I mean, well, we, can, we can talk about miracles another time, but somehow we were able to just get up and walk out of that car. And that, that's its own blessing. But as we went to sit on the sidewalk and just process this whole thing, as we see this totally smashed up Camry and after doing all the, these spins, this gentleman that was driving the other car, as I said, he was fully intoxicated, so he popped out fine. You know, you know how bodies are. He just hops out, boom, whatever. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm like... This, if there's ever not a moment, it's like, I know the Lord, but you better, <laughs> this ain't it, bro. Come on now. And so <laughs> we're just staying quiet. He's talking and we're like, hey, man, just give us a second. So we kind of, you know, get up and walk over to the intersection to check on that car that was in front of us. It was a super tiny hatchback car. There was a woman, a mother, pardon me, in the front, and she had three little kids in the back. So we, yeah, yeah, I know. So we walk over to, to take a look at it. And no one's in the car. She's just standing around her kids. And I mean, when I tell you, I've never seen anyone hold anything so tight. And she's holding these kids so tight, almost like she's going to break them. And thankfully, they're, they're all okay. And their car, it was, it was hit, but we, we took the main brunt of that. And as Joseph and I kind of looked at each other, we we're just like, this is wild. But we started putting together the reality that in this moment, we were used as a buffer for the devastation and the, and the pain and the destruction that would have, would have come had he not decided to just go from the right lane to the left lane and wait at that light behind that car. Because what was obvious to us in that moment was had he not done that, and we would have been over here, we'd have been over here, and that car was over there. The minute that truck hit that car, all three of those kids are dead instantly. I mean, we, we lost two-thirds of an entire vehicle up to the point that we were worried our backs were broken in a mid-sized vehicle. 
that little tiny hatchback, it would have been game over. And the reality of that is God's plan is so big. It involves us, but it's not always about us. Where Saul went wrong was that he thought just because he was the star or he was the guy or he was the one for a part of God's plan that he necessarily now has to be the guy for every part of God's plan. Just because you were the guy in the last part or the first part or second or third part of God's plan, just because you were the leader, the coach, just because you were the one, just because you were the front piece, you were the woman for the first three parts of God's plan, doesn't mean that he's only going to use you. It doesn't mean that you have to be the one for every piece of the plan. And that's where Saul went wrong. Saul was not okay with God's plan if it didn't involve him at the front. Whereas David was like, I'm just here for God's plan. And I tell you that story because as a sophomore in college, that night I learned that sometimes just being a part of God's plan is the plan. Sometimes that's just the whole plan. Sometimes the plan is for God to look at you and say, hey, I need you to be a part of this plan that I'm trying to bring about in this world with my people. And when we're able to do that, not only is it good for our lives and the ones around us, but there's also a chance that as we impact others and they hear our stories and we share our story There's a good chance that by the time it's said and done, the people around you, the people in your sphere will be able to look back and say, wow, you're walking in a legacy of God's plan. They may look back years later and say, man, the way that you modeled that is something we held on to. You may even get to the point to where years and years later, generations later, when someone's battling something, that seems insurmountable. They'll never make it. When someone's living a life where you just see pain, trauma, destruction, not caused by them, but put onto them, and somehow you hear their story, and they come out glorious and victorious, and they made it. You may see a sporting event, as we always do, around March of every year. There's no way this group of people, there's no way this team can take on that team and be victorious. What are those called? David and Goliath. It's a David and Goliath scenario. All these generations later, we look at these stories and we think David and whatever Goliath. We just did an entire series on gratitude and Goliath. But when you look at David and just his decision, his intentional decision, not his perfection, but his intentional decision to trust God above all things is why all these years later, When we see someone walking in that and doing the impossible, oh, look, David and Goliath. And if we're able to be in that space and trust God on that level, say, God, I don't know your plan. I don't know your macro plan for this entire world. I don't even know fully your micro plan for me and how I impact this entire world. But I do know if I lean in and I stay with and I trust that plan, not only would it help me to stay away from and conquer all of these Goliaths, especially the Goliath of envy, 
but it'll help me to live a life that will be remembered simply for my intentional desire and attempts to stay connected, stay in tune, and stay aligned in trusting the God that offered and gave everything to me. I'm going to go ahead and pray first. Lord, this is not easy. We know this is not easy. We know we walk through ideas and experiences and decisions and even down to the story that I told, I wouldn't wish that story on anyone. That was an incredibly traumatic night and eventual months for me and my friend. But in moments and even years later, it became something that I could take with me as a reminder that your plan is so much bigger, so much greater than my plan. And that when I try to hold on and take things and control them and do it my way, not only can I not get far enough, I can't do enough. I could never do enough. Fortunately, you've already done more than enough. If I can just align and put myself in line with your plan and what you're doing, it's more than enough. And it'll carry me within it. And it's not easy. We're in a rough holiday season. So many things have happened. We're carrying pain and trauma. I know that. But I also know that it's bigger than us. And the one shot that we have at seeing fruit and peace and even joy come out of these moments is to fully lean in and trust God for his plan, his macro and his micro, what he's doing in the world and what he has done and wants to do in us. And with that, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship your name, love you in a space where we're free to do it and we can do it safely. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.